For those of you watching online, it looks like I'm just rushing out here. It's because I have been. We just had baptism, and I was trying to... And when you're in a rush and you're trying to put a shirt on and button all the buttons and make sure you're zipped up, I hope I'm zipped up. But anyways, here we go. It's too late now. We're doing this. Hey, we're, we're glad you're here. We're finishing up our Hebrews series. We're in Hebrews chapter 12, as Brad said. And, and uh, this has just been a great book for me because the, the book of Hebrews is a challenge, is an encouragement to me just to continue on and persevere in my faith because life's difficult. We have a lot of challenges that we go through. All of us do. And Hebrews is certainly a book that helps us uh, with that. So we're, today we're going to take a look at what the writer of Hebrews is talking about in our faith, and he compares our faith to a race. And so today we're going to see what, what would it be like for you and for me to run the race of your life. Now, most of us, when we picture running the race of our life, it's kind of ending like this. This is as we cross the tape and not like that, but like the picture that's about, yeah, there we go, yeah. That's how we're gonna finish the race, you know, just running through the tape looking good, right? But for others, we might finish the race more like, uh, like this. You know, exhausted and, 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 and just sort of burned, burned out maybe a little bit. But it, the, the goal is that we finish and so that's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about because, again, if you've been studying with us, here's the context for Hebrews. It was written to a group of first century Jews who were facing some really intense persecution and some really intense struggles, and they were thinking, you know what, I don't know if it's worth it. And so they were thinking about leaving the race and going back under the old system, under the old, old law and the old sacrificial system. And so the writer of Hebrews holds up this incredibly high picture of Jesus, and he says Jesus is greater than anything that you could ever go back to. And it's a call for endurance. It's a call for perseverance. So let, let's jump in here. Hebrews chapter 12, the first three verses. I love this section. This is a great section. I promise you there's some things in here today that can help you uh, in your journey with Christ and help you run the race of your life. Starting in verse 1, the writer of Hebrews says, therefore. Now, anytime we see a therefore in Scripture, those of you who've been around here very long know that we, also, we always should ask, what is the Therefore. Therefore, right? It's always a word that connects to what's been previously said. So you can't take Hebrews chapter 12 out of context from Hebrews chapter 11 because they just go together. And so Hebrews chapter 11 is the great hall of faith that we looked at last week. All of these men and women who were not, who were not flawless, who had some faults, but had one thing in common. They had this faith in their living God, and that, that faith is what continued to spur them on, to encourage them, and empowered them by God's grace to finish the race. And so it tells their story. And now we transition into really how it is that we now run our race. And we have this same defining characteristics that they had, this dependence, this reliance on the Lord, Lord Jesus. So therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, I I want to say this now. We're going to dig in deeper in just a few moments. Um, what I spent most of my life believing about this first part of this verse, I think is not fully true. Like, I spent the first part or most part of my life believing that, well, that's a great encouragement. It's sort of like, I think we have a Neyland Stadium picture. Do we have the Neyland Stadium picture? We'll go ahead and fire that thing up there on the, on the screen. So I spent the first part of my life just thinking, like, there's this, these great uh, hall of faith, all of these great Christians, and they're lining up a stadium, and they're watching me, right? And every time I'm doing something, like, right spiritually, they just, they just erupt, right? Because I just uh, had this, this belief that sort of everything in the Bible was kind of revolved around me. Did anybody have that? Nobody? Okay. Like with David and Goliath, I mean, which character were you? That was David. 
Yeah, right, right. Joshua in the battle of Jericho, who are you? That was Joshua. Yeah, that's, I, I was Joshua, right? Daniel in the lion's den, put me down for Dan. I'll play him, right? And so I, I sort of I had that, that mindset. But what we're going to see is something very different. But in fact, it's even better. So since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now, there's two things in the last part of that verse that are powerful. That word perseverance, perseverance means you're, ex- you're expecting some obstacles. Like if you're, if you're going to follow Christ and you're going to run a race, there's going to be some obstacles. There's going to be some, some challenges. There are going to be some times where you feel like you, you can't go on. I, I'm not a marathon runner. I know that's not a shock to anyone uh, here. I, I did years ago with my wife. I ran a half marathon. It was the worst three hours of my life. I'll, I will promise you, but she finished, and so doggone it, I was going, going to finish. And so perseverance expects some obstacles, but there's something in us, this power of the Holy Spirit that allows us to push through to the other side. Fixing our eyes, verse 2, on Jesus, that word fixing is, a, is another pretty powerful word. It doesn't just mean focusing on one thing. It means turning away from other things first, right? In order for me to truly be focused on Jesus, I have to be willing to turn away from some other things that are, that are catching my attention or catching my eye. So fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, that little phrase is so good. I, I don't even, I'm, I'm going to talk about it in a few minutes. I don't want to give, give it away, but it's, it's so amazing. For the joy set before him, talking about Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Probably more than any other phrase in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews keeps using this phrase about Jesus setting down at the right hand of God. Why does he keep saying that? Because he wants them to see under the old system, the priests are standing. They're still offering sacrifices day after day. But the sacrifice that Jesus made when he sacrificed his life, after that was over, he sat down because it's completed. Nothing else needs to be added to that. What Jesus did was sufficient. Is that good news? Yeah, and so we, we, we can understand that, and it helps us in our faith so much. So he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. You're not alone. Like if you're facing some persecution, some challenges at the office or on campus or from family members, you're not alone. The Lord Jesus did. And so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Check out of the race. So uh, let's look at a couple things. I want to share just a couple things today that I think are going to be the key for you and me to run the race of your life. And I just wonder before we get started, because, you know, before, before, we, before we get going, would you say something like this? You know what? As a follower of Christ, I, I know I could run this race better than I'm running right now. And God, if you have something for me, if you have a race marked out for me, and he does, I want, I want to run that race, and I, I want to really bust through the tape in a way that brings you glory. I, I want to run this race well. That's me, and I hope it's you. But let's look at some keys to doing that. Here's the first key. If you're going to run the race of your life, and we saw that the Lord has a race marked out for us, which I love. It means you don't have to run my race, and I don't have to run your race. We do have to run the race that God has marked out for us, right? So let's look at the first thing. We need to remember that it's been done. And so what do I mean by that? Well, I'm not talking about what Jesus did here. I, I, I think what we see, look, look back at verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now, remember I told you before, when I looked at that verse, it says, remember we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. I just thought the stadium erupted every time I gave my tithe, right? Look at that guy. 
That's really not what the passage is talking about. Here, here's the thing. This great cloud of witnesses, they're witnesses to us, not witnesses of us. Can I say that to you again? Like some of you are looking confused. This great cloud of witnesses, he says we are surrounded. The writer of Hebrews says we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. What does that mean? Their lives should witness to us. They're bearing witness to us of the faithfulness and the goodness of God in their own life, right? They're not witnessing us. I, I don't want to hurt your feelings here today, but heaven's not watching you. Like people in heaven aren't watching you right now. For some of you, like, that's good news. It's good news. But, 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 but they're not. And I know that's, a, that's offensive. I, I hope that's not why she's leaving. But anyways, but, but heaven, heaven's, not, heaven's not watching. I shared this Thursday, Thursday night, and people are like, oh, like, well, I, I just, I just want, I want to think that, that people are watching. But can I just tell you something? Nowhere in Scripture does it really teach that. In fact, the Bible says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has in store for those who love him. The people that are in the presence of God right now in heaven have far greater and better things to do than watch you and me. Right, I, I, it would be like, it would be like I, I've tried to illustrate it so many different ways, and and and, and uh, I always ask different people about the illustration. They say, well, you know, I wouldn't use that again. But let's just say you've got an eight-year-old. Can you just play along? You got an eight-year-old, and if you're going to take your eight-year-old on a vacation of a lifetime, where would an eight-year-old want to go? Probably want to go to Disney, Disney World. Yeah, right. So you have an eight-year-old at Disney World, and wonder if your eight-year-old at Disney World, instead of going around and enjoying the park was watching your cell phone, and they were watching the ring camera on your doorbell there at your house, watching their front yard. I mean, that, that would be a problem. Like, to be honest, I don't think there would be any eight-year-old that would be in the magic kingdom and want to watch their ring doorbell, like, to see what's going on. We have one of those. It's not hooked up to my phone. I don't even know how to use it, to be honest. Uh, my youngest son, who doesn't live at our house, it is connected to his phone. So when I leave the house many times, he'll talk to me through this lamppost that's on our back door, which is kind of crazy, too. But So he's doing that. But, but anyways, you, you wouldn't do that, right, because there's something far greater. And so they're, they're, not, they're, not, they're not watching. So, so what, is, what is the point? The point is when we're going through a difficult time in our life, we're prone to believe because this is a lie of the enemy. We're prone to believe that we're the only one going through this. Does that make sense? Like, I'm the only one that has a husband like this, right? Or I'm the only one whose wife doesn't understand me. Or I'm the only one who's in a dead-end job. Or I'm the only one that is struggling with lust. Or I'm the only, you, you fill in the blank. No matter what it is that you're wrestling with, the enemy wants you to believe that you're the only one going through that. And the writer of Hebrews says, no, no, no. We are surrounded by a great crowd, a, a great cloud, if you will, of witnesses, and their life should witness to us. You see, we just came off of Hebrews chapter 11, right, with this hall of faith. So that, that's the thing. And, 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 and those lives, people who have finished the race, people have done it, people have trusted God, and we've seen that in their life, that ought to be an encouragement to us, right? Because Abraham's in the hall of faith, but what does God show us as we look back at, at, at Abraham and how his life witnesses to us? It really shows what God can do in the life of a man with no hope. Because Abraham had no hope. He was 75 years old. He didn't have a child he had no hope in that culture. That meant you had no future for yourself. So, so Abraham's life witnesses, it screams to us, it bears witness to us of what God can do in the life of a person who feels like they have no hope. Rahab, who is in Hebrews chapter 11, who was a, a prostitute, it screams to us what God can do in the life of someone with a past, right? Their life witnesses to us. You see, 
many people that you know and that I know, and maybe even here today, one of the reasons why we don't finish the race is doubt creeps in. Like we're exposed to something and it begins to spin us out mentally. And so we begin to really go through a period of time in our life where we doubt or, or question our faith. And so what, what, what this say? listen, there, there are, there are, the stadium is packed with people who wrestled with doubt. But then it was God's grace and his power, their dependence upon him, them, him that brought them through that. I was thinking about this the other day. Probably the, the person that I quote more than any other is C.S. Lewis. Some of you are like, yeah. I mean, if we hear another C.S. Lewis quote, we're done. You know, C.S. Lewis was an atheist before he came to faith in Christ. Now, his life witnesses to what God can do in the life of a person with doubt. You see, some of you here today, you have real addictions. Your life is being, in many ways, paralyzed by a real addiction there are people on our staff. There are people here in this church. There are countless believers before. Here's the point. The stadium is filled with people who have been set free from addictions through the power of this God, and their life witnesses to us. So what is it saying? You're not alone. Others have finished this race, and this is an encouragement. If you're here today and your marriage feels like it's falling apart and there's no hope, listen, uh, just, just do this. Just reach out to one of our staff members this week because there are people probably sitting around you. There are people here that we know that, listen, had no hope, and God intervened and moved in a powerful way and healed their marriage, and now their life is a witness to us of the faithfulness of God. Maybe you're a person and said, you know what? I want to take a stand for Christ on my campus. There are young people who have taken a stand for Christ on their campus, and their life is witnessing to us. There are young singles right now in this post-Christian culture that is just obsessed with sex. There are young people here in this place, 20-somethings, who are keeping themselves pure, who are walking their faith out in purity, and their life can witness to us that it can be done. And on and on we could go. So you see, it's actually better than the stadium erupting every time I just do a good thing, right? It's just filled with people who give me an example and encourage me of what God can do in a life. So I'm going to give you two questions because here's what I believe about teaching and preaching. And I make my living doing it, but you learn way more by wrestling with questions with one or two other people than you do by listening to me for 30 minutes. Super encouraging for me, but it's true. So I'm going to give you a couple questions, right? Uh, because here's what I want you to know. There are going to be times in your life and in your faith journey when you think you can't finish. There are going to be times when you just want to give up. You think you can't push past the temptation or you can't push past the pain or the hurt. But then you stop and realize the stadium is filled. There's a great cloud of witnesses of people who have finished the race. And their faith in our God can be something that is bearing witness to you and encouraging you. So here's a question I want you to wrestle with and maybe talk about a little bit. Who is it right now in your life that is bearing witness to you in your trial? Whatever it is that you're going through, addiction, anxiety, pornography, gluttony, what, 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 whatever, who is it that their life is bearing witness to you? Second question is this, what type of witness is my life bearing? Like, who is taking a look at me and finding encouragement in their faith journey for how the Lord is at work and moving in my life? So let's move on. Let's look at the second thing. We're going to run the race of our life. Remember, it's been done. 
great cloud of witnesses who are bearing witness to us. But then secondly, you have to remember to, to lighten up. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, the second part. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Now, this is a little awkward, but we're about to move into the, the Olympic season when the Greeks... Uh, when the ancient Greeks raced, when they ran a marathon, some Bible scholars say zero clothes on. Some say just very, very little. The point is they cast off everything that was going to hinder them from running the race. The Romans did the same thing. You know, at our house around Christmas, we probably watch more movies around Christmas than we do any other time of year. Maybe things kind of slow down just, just a little bit. Uh, one of the movies that I love at, at Christmas time is A Christmas Story. You like that movie? You're just mumbling. I can't hear you. Yeah, it's a good movie. Yeah, it's a good movie. Um, I love Ralphie in that movie. You'll shoot your eye. You know, you know Ralphie. But Ralphie's brother, anybody know Ralphie's brother? Randy? He's classic. He's good. But uh, their mom dresses Randy for school. T- take, take a look at this picture. Yeah, see from the movie. That's how Randy goes out and he just falls. He can't get, it, can't get back up because she puts so much clothes on him. I think many times we're trying to run the race of our life dressed like Randy. We have so much going on, and the sin that has entangled us, that is weighing us down, and and, and we can't run with the fluidity and the freedom and the efficiency that God wants us to to run with. And so those people who are going to finish the race well are going to have a proactive plan for dealing with sin today because watch what the writer of Hebrews says. He said, the sin that so easily entangles Like, I mean, you don't have to look for it. Sin is just present every single day in our life in every single way, right? I mean, I'm a fisherman, not a good one, but I'm a fisherman. It's like amazing. I'll put four or five rods out on the deck of my boat, and I try to be so careful to keep them separate because I I, I don't want them to get tangled. It's like they just collude against me, and in five minutes, every single one of them is tangled with the other, and I'm just like, what in the world? But that's kind of the way it is. With sin, I mean, we can, we can leave here and on our, on our ride home, I mean, we're, we're just jumping right back in to, to, to gossip or, or whatever it is. I mean, it just so easily entangles us. And so if we're going to begin to run the race of our life, we have to be, to be throwing these things off as the Spirit of God uh, convicts us to do. So what's a plan? I, I think a three-pronged plan that will get you started of really casting off that sin in your life is a plan of confession, repentance, and really making no provision for the flesh. What is confession? Confession is agreeing with God about the sin in your life. Agreeing with God about the sin in your life. Repentance is really walking away from it, right? And then making no provision of the the flesh is really making no plans for it, right? You see? And so just having a plan. Because the tangles that we're going to face in this world, they're just going to happen, right? Right? If we don't have a battle plan against them, John Owen, the great theologian, said this. It's a pretty amazing statement, short and sweet. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. That's pretty good, isn't it? Have a battle plan against that, casting off sin, because I want to run with freedom. I want to run the race of my life. And when we turn away from sin, it really turns up the speed in our life. And we begin to feel the power of God in our life like never before it's an amazing thing, uh, amazing thing. But, but think about this just for a moment. It's not just the things that we need to cast off. Watch this. This is important. The things that we need to cast off so we can run the race of our life are not just things that we're doing. Many times it's just things we're believing that are weighing us down, right? So many people look like Randy, and it's not, not all of them are actions. It's just belief. Like, 
can, I, can I just tell you something? If you think it's your job to fix everybody in your family, relax, it's not. God's got that. But if you believe that, it is weighing you down. If you think it's your job to make everybody in your family happy, it's not. God's got that. It's weighing you down. You can never run with freedom while you're believing those things. If you say this, God could never truly use me because of my past, you're weighing yourself down. You can never run with the freedom. Those lies that we're believing have to be confronted with the truth of the gospel. Repentance is casting off those lies and believing a greater truth that God says about us. Do you see that? And we begin to run with with freedom. Now, this next thing I'm going to say, my assistant is amazing. She's been with me for such a long time. And um, sometimes I'll give her my notes on Thursday and she'll give them back and she'll have some stuff highlighted. When she highlights something in yellow, it means that doesn't make any sense. You need to change that. So she highlighted this in yellow and I kept it because I feel good about it. And I, I believe, I believe the last two services, uh, they would have highlighted in yellow too. But I'm throwing it out. I got a good, I got a good feeling about you guys, right? Because we're talking about casting things off so we can run with freedom. But, but, but those who really run the race with freedom ask good things, great questions. You're looking like you would have highlighted that in yellow too. Because let me tell you something, it's not, the, it's not just the sin in our life that we need to cast off. Listen, there are good things in your life and in my life that are keeping me from the great things. Do you see that? That's really the problem. There are good things in our life that are keeping us from the greatest thing in our life, which is intimacy with the Lord Jesus. And if you want to run the race of your life, you have to learn how to ask the good things great questions, or you'll never be, never be free from them. I mean, Paul takes up this argument in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. He said, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. Like a lot of times, a lot of times we have freedom to do certain things. That's what Paul's saying. But just because you have, or I have freedom to do something doesn't mean that it's a helpful thing for me. Does that make sense? Yeah, we were, uh, we were talking about this Thursday night after the service. One of our young professionals stayed around. He said, man, that is so true. He said, there's some things in my life that I've just justified because I knew I had freedom to do it, and they're good things, but they, they're just keeping me from what God has for me. It was a great conversation. But listen, if you want to run the race of your life, you've got to be able to ask the good things in your life. And you might say, well, what are some good things in, in, in our life? Hobbies can be good things. Hobbies are good things, Right? Possessions can be some good, some good things. There can be some relationships that, that we have. They can be good things, right? Social media, media, hello, can be a good thing. But if we're not careful, those good things can really keep us from a great thing. So I'm going to give you three questions to ask the good things in your life. Does that make sense? And I think it's an important step. Number one, is it weighing me down? Like, is this good thing really weighing me down? Is I continue to be involved in it? I mean, that can be my kid's schedule or, 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 or on and on, whatever you say. Ask a good thing, a great question. Is it weighing me down? Secondly, is it diverting my attention? Like that, that's really been something for me in the last year that I've had to deal with. I've had some good things in my life that have taken so much of my attention and kept me from the best things. Like... Um, not a lot, but occasionally somebody will come to me and, and ask me to, to, to take on a writing project. And every time in the past that someone asked me to take on a writing project, I just did it because that seems like a good thing. I've just learned that I can't do that because and it's, if, if, if you're a writer, go on. This is my own journey, right? I can't say yes to every good thing because it keeps me from the best thing. And I believe the best thing is being your pastor, 
I believe the best thing is giving the time that I need to study the scripture and try to cast vision and lead our place, lead this place here, what God's doing. And in the past, I just said yes to a lot of good things and they kept me from the best things. Does that make sense? So what are those things in your life? Here's the third question. Is it dampening my enthusiasm for the Lord? Like many times a good thing, we stay with it, and ultimately it'll just dampen our enthusiasm for the things of the Lord. So if you want to run the race of your life, you've got to learn how to ask the good things great questions. Begin to cast off those things in your life that are keeping you from being all that God wants you to be. Faithful finishers, cast off the good things to experience the God things. I think it's an important thing. Do you remember last week we said this? One of the keys to life is being selfish. People were like, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard a pastor say. Appreciate those of you who responded, and that was exactly your words. Uh, My point is we need a new definition of selfish. The old old definition of selfish is do what you want to do first, but here, if you do what you want to do first, it will always reduce satisfaction in your life, right? But you do what God wants you to do first, and it will increase satisfaction in your life. So be selfish and experience the abundance of God in your life. So here's a question to think about this afternoon. What are some good things in my life that are keeping me from the best thing? I wonder if you'd take five minutes and wrestle with that question, right? Let's look at the, let's look at the third thing. We're almost done. You guys doing okay? Right? Looking at the yawns, it's always a blessing, right, to me. I want to be honest with you. Those of you who are in your pajama pants, your cup of coffee, you're laughing right now. Hey, it may be time to put on some slacks and come back to church. That's what we're saying to you in the pajama pants crowd right now. I don't know. I don't know. That didn't go over well. You just clicked off, didn't you? Right. Sorry. No. Number three. I, I say that because I hear people every week. Man, we just we just sit in pajama pants and drink coffee. We just watch you watch you on TV. That's a good thing. Best thing's being with God's people. Wouldn't you Wouldn't you agree with that? Yeah. No. no number three. Our online numbers just tanked this week. But anyway, <laughs> number three, we, we have to learn to run from a place of victory, not for victory. Um, many of you won't receive this, but those of you who do, you will run lighter for the rest of your life. I promise you. I promise you. Now, here, here's what I mean. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 again. This is so good. The writer of Hebrews says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And again, to fix your eyes on Jesus means I have to turn away from something else that I'm giving my attention to, right? That's what that word fix means. Not just just focus on Christ. I have to turn away from something else. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Do you know, the writer of Hebrews, his sole argument, his sole argument is Jesus is greater than anything and everything, right? He's greater than anything and everything. And this is such a great example. You know what he's saying? He says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Here's why. He is the pioneer or author and perfecter of your faith. You know what he's saying? He was there at the starting block, the moment that you came into relationship. You know why you came into relationship with the Lord Jesus? Because he was drawing you into relationship, right? He, he, he was wooing you into relationship, and he forgave you, and you were born again. That was a starting block. Do you believe that happened at the starting block? Yeah, that's good. And he says he's going to be there at the finish line. Isn't that exciting? So, so, but really what he means is he's going to be there all along the way. Now, we're about to move into the Olympic season. And whenever there's a race or whenever there's a contest, like you watch the contest, and then 30 minutes later, you have the, the, the award ceremony, right, where everybody goes to the stand, gold, silver, and bronze. They play the national anthem, and you receive the medal. Let me just tell you something. 
the award ceremony for you, if you're in Christ, occurred way before you were even born. The award ceremony is over. Jesus is victorious, and that victory, that, that victory has been passed on to you through faith. Do you see that? Right? So you are today, if you're in Christ, you're running from a place of victory, not for victory. He was there at the starting block, and he'll be there at the finish line. Can you think of anything that is greater than that? No. That's the answer. Philippians 1.6 says this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, who began a good work in you, it was the Lord Jesus, who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. Does that allow anyone to rest a little bit? You're laboring and you're striving. This is a not very well written. I wrote it. Running for victory produces quitters. And, and, and what I mean by that is if all your life you're just striving for the attention, affection, and approval of God, sooner or later, you just give up on that. I was uh, talking to a guy a couple weeks ago. He's in his 70s. And uh, we were having a great conversation. We were talking about sports and everyday guy stuff. And then he asked the question that for me, I, when, when somebody asks this question, I know the conversation is just going to... I see Brian and Katie. Brian, we're glad you guys are here. Katie here from a church, a church that we're involved in in Boston, Grace City. I should have recognized you earlier. I was out of breath when I came down from the baptistry. Would you guys just stand up for a second? We're so glad y'all are here. I just saw you. God bless you guys. Katie, you're excited for standing up. Thank you for being here. Appreciate all you guys are doing. Sorry. So I'm talking to this dude. You know, we're just talking about, uh, we're just talking about life. And he asked me, he said, what do you do? That's when it gets good. I said, I'm a, I'm a pastor. And you could tell, man, he was ready to get out of there. And, and I just said, that got weird, didn't it? And he said, yeah, real weird, real weird. So we talked a little bit more. I just, just wouldn't, I've learned, I just didn't let him run. I said, uh, tell me a little bit about your story, man. You, you, you kind of connected with church. He said, no, 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 no. He said, I gave that up a long time ago. I said, well, tell, tell me why. I said, it just didn't work for me. He said, but you know, I am starting to think. He said, I am starting to think. I'm in my 70s now and I'm closer to meeting the guy upstairs. His word's not mine. And he said, so it's time for me to pick up the pace. And I said, tell me some more about that. And he said, well, I'm not going to live forever. So when I stand before him, I need to have some stuff. In other words, what he was saying is he says, you know what? I got to move into a dead sprint right here for the last 10 years, 20 years of my life so I can outdo all that other. I can't tell you how exciting it was to tell him the gospel of Jesus Christ and what the Lord had done on his behalf and the victory that he had won and he could stand before God based upon the finished work of Jesus Christ, not on his own effort. And it was, it was like he was listening to something in a foreign language. But I, I think it happens in the church. I think there's so many people, even in the church here today, that heard the gospel over and over again, but you're still running for victory. 
you're still trying to please God, you're still trying to earn his favor instead of running from victory, understanding what has been earned on your behalf. And when you get that, right, the award ceremony is over. It changes your gait. And running for victory might produce a quitter, but running from victory produces worshipers. Excited about who God is and what he's doing in their life, which is what he wanted all the time, right? So here's a question today. Have I been running for victory or from victory in my life? I think it's a good question to wrestle with. Have I been running for victory instead of claiming the victory by faith that's already mine in Christ and running from that place? Last thing, and then we'll be done. Hebrews 12, verse 2 and 3. Let's look at this just real quick and and look at the, the fourth and final thing. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. I love this part. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Would you say the cross was a, was a difficult experience for the Lord Jesus? Of course it was. And so what does the scripture say prior to that, that phrase? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What was the joy set before the Lord Jesus? The joy set before the Lord Jesus was the pleasure of his father and the freedom of you and I, his brothers and sisters. And because of that, he endured the cross. You see, the race of life, listen to me, is full of value propositions. The race of life is full of value propositions. And you say, what do you mean by value proposition? You have to ask the worth question, is it worth it? In fact, you ask it in some ways maybe before you even came today. Is it worth it to be here and gather in worship? Is it worth it to continue to walk out my faith in a very difficult situation at the office? Is it worth it to battle and and fight and stay in my marriage? Is it worth it? All along the way, that's that worth question. For the joy set before him, you have to keep that in front of you. What is the joy that is before you? It can be the pleasure of the Father. There's nothing greater than that. To hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant, nothing greater than that. The presence of the Father, would you take anything over that? The peace of the Father, the forgiveness of sin, eternity in his presence. All those are questions that involve a value proposition. Is it worth it? You see, for the runner who she wakes up every single morning before sunrise to get her miles in, but then she does get a chance to step up on that stand as a winner, as a champion, she would say it's worth it. Here's a picture of a 16-year-old girl, Holland Reynolds. Holland was the best cross-country runner in her state just before she was to cross the finish line of her state championship, she tore a muscle and collapsed just feet from the finish line. Everyone's stunned. She pushes aside folks trying to help her, and she crawled to the finish line. When she was asked after the race, why did she do that? She said, I just kept telling myself it's going to be worth it to finish. Can I tell you something today? Walking this thing out may not be the easiest thing you've ever done, but can I tell you something as a follower of Jesus Christ? It is going to be worth it to finish. It is worth it to finish. The moms who labor and labor six, eight, 10, 12 hours, and then you hold her 
and she cries for the first time and you say, what moms? It's, <laughs> I was hoping for more moms. <laughs> yeah, it's worth it, right? Galatians 6, 9, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. One more question in the Hebrew series and then we'll be done. We'll put the artwork up. This is how we started with this symbol. Jesus is greater than. Any pleasure, any possession, any relationship, any title, and any accomplishment. But here's the question. Has it ever got personal for you? How would you answer that? Is he greater than you fill in the blank? Because you will never run the race of your life, the race marked out for you, until you answer that question. Is he greater than? Because if he's not, you'll continue to chase all of those things. And you'll end up at the end of a race exhausted, discouraged, and having missed the opportunity of a lifetime. It's time to pick up the baton by faith and run the race of your life. The race marked out for you. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We're here today to worship you and declare that you are greater than all things. And Lord, for those who may be here today, may be watching online, that it's all the other things that have always been greater in their life. But today, through the power of your Holy Spirit, you're speaking to them. And by faith, they're finally ready to surrender to your greatness and experiencing your peace, your forgiveness. Lord, I pray that happens even today. In Jesus' name, amen.